Namaste, how are ye? Welcome to the Candle Tales podcast and this year's Samhain special. In this episode, Sorok is telling the story of Kram Dove. Listen back to our previous Samhain stories to get in the mood for Halloween and subscribe to our YouTube channel where you can see all of these tales and playlists. This podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters over on patreon.com forward slash Candle Tales. You can join them there if you want to chip in. And check out our website, candlelittales.ie, to see more details on our live upcoming shows in Trim, the Harbour Bar, and even an extra date added for the Puka Festival. Very exciting. More details on our workshops and our trainings that we have an offer, including our brand new year-long storytelling training course, Turning the Wheel of the Year, starting in November with only a few spots left. DM or email us for a course outline. And like, share, subscribe, comment, and above all, enjoy. Here's Erica. Tell us the story, will you? Crumbed of Anna Dullahan. Long ago on this island, it is said that a dark bargain was struck. There was a king, Tigernmas, and when harvests were poor, he made a deal with a god called Cromdove that he would send a number of souls to Cromdove in exchange for fair harvests. The deal was struck and the deal was kept. At least, Crom Dove's part of the deal was kept. Because not long after Tigernmas made that deal, people came to the island bringing a new faith, preaching against paganism, insisting there was only one god, a god that didn't demand human sacrifice. And so Crom Dove was left short. But the people still called it Crom Dove's Sunday when they first began to gather in the harvest. First of corn and then later, when they were introduced, of potatoes. Crom Dove's Day was the day when they began the harvest of their main crop. Crom Dove's name was still spoken. And the Cromdove's debt was still unpaid. And so Cromdove sent a servant. A horseman. A horseman who could hunt down and take those souls that the ancient king had promised him. And that horseman, like any creature of the other world got it hard to cross over, except at the times when the veil was thin, times like Bialtana and Samhain and Imbolg and Lunasa, which is the other name for Crom Dove's day. This horseman, Crom Dove gave gifts. He could see for miles around. He could pass through any gate, any lock, any door, could see over an obstacle through a solid wall, could wield a whip made out of the vertebrae of a spine, and could hold his head higher to survey the land, because his head did not rest on his shoulders. He carried his head in his arm. 
and the flesh of his head looked like something mouldy about to slough off the bones of the skull and it glowed in an eerie way. And those who heard the horseman coming, the Dullahan, he was called, well, they would hold their breath and pray. For the Dullahan could speak but little. All he could utter on every ride was one name, and that name was the soul that he was there to collect. But if someone saw him, and he had not uttered their name, he would crack his whip in their direction, leaving them blinded in one eye. It was not so very long ago, long past the days of Crom Dove and King Tegernmas, that there lived a young man in the county of Sligo named Liam Connor. And one night, Liam was out on the roads. And perhaps he had had drink taken, perhaps he was merely careless of the time of year and the dusk that it was falling, for he was walking through a thin time, without paying any mind, without noticing that he was at a turning point in the year, the night before Bialtana, and summer begins. And he was making his way through the long dusk, when he heard behind him, on that quiet country road, sound of hoofbeats and a chill ran down his spine. His first thought was of the Dullahan and his second thought was to dismiss the first was he not being superstitious? And he turned back and in the gathering dusk he saw a fine black horse and on its back a rider. And then his blood ran cold. For the rider's frame ended at the shoulder. And the rider held in one hand by the hair a head. And in the gathering dusk that head seemed to glow with an eerie light. And the eyes in that head seemed to roll towards him, black and beady, and altogether dead. And then he saw the lips of that head move and heard a high, thin voice that said, Liam Connor. And he knew then that he was doomed. And he turned. And he ran. Now he knew he was far from home. And he knew besides that no one can outrun a horse on the flat. So at the first chance he got, he dove off the road and into the trees, weaving among them and hoping that the great bulk of the horse would not be able to pass through them so easily as he could. The only thought in his head was to run 
although he knew in his heart of hearts there was nothing he could do. He racked his brains to think, and all behind him he could hear the pounding of the horse's hoofs, the high, thin laughter of the Dullahan, and he could hear it getting closer and closer with every stride, the hoofbeats of the horse drawing nearer and still nearer. And he dug in his pockets for anything, a knife, a weapon, anything he could use to defend himself, and his hand closed around a couple of coins that he had left, and he flung them behind him, thinking to hit the thing in the eye. And he heard the horse gather itself for a leap. And then he heard a roar of rage and frustration. And the horse leapt clean over his head. And as he fell to the ground cowering, it vanished into the sky. And he lay there for a while, in the soft mud and the leaves, with his hands over his head and his face in the dirt, waiting for the blow to fall. But eventually he looked up and around and there was no sign of the Dullahan. So he gathered himself up and he dusted himself off and he made his way back home. And it was only after he was home and telling the story that his grandmother piped up and said, I, it was gold that you threw, Liam. You must have had a gold coin in your pocket. And the Dullahan has a fear of gold. But the rest of what his grandmother had to say was not so reassuring. For once a name is uttered by the Dullahan, that soul is forfeit to Crom Dove. Creature would return. It would come back looking for him again. And he'd better have gold to ward it off. Now there was not much gold to be had. The family were not wealthy. Certainly not wealthy enough to have jewellery, to have gold coins in plenty. And the one that he had flung behind him was still on a forest floor somewhere. But after digging around, they managed to find a pin with a gold head on it. It might not be enough, but it might be. And the next day, as evening drew close, Liam barricaded himself into his room, closed and locked the doors and barred the windows and all the rest of the family cleared out for fear of being spied by the Dullahan. For the grandmother said there was nothing they could do to help. And if they got in its way, any one of them might lose an eye. Or, worse, draw its attention for after it had taken Liam, it might be in want of another soul. And so he waited, alone. As dusk fell and darkness came, and he huddled. He might have slept, strange dreams and frightening ones, 
where there was a figure standing at the foot of his bed laughing in a high, thin voice. But then with a start, he was fully awake, hearing a horse's hooves ring on the stones outside. He could picture it. He could almost feel the weight of that black gaze on him through the stone. And then he heard the horse stop outside the front door. He thought he heard that high, thin voice again in a little laugh. And then he heard the floorboards creak under the weight of a horse inside the door, passing through the locks as if they were not there. And he cowered down in his bed. And he heard the horse's hooves grow closer. And as they came to the door of his room, he took out that pin with the golden head and he held it in front of him like a talisman. And he shut his eyes and he did not see, for he did not want to. Creature, step through the locked door of his room. But he heard again the scream of rage the Dullahan gave. And he heard the horse turn and flee and break down the door and break down the front door. And when he came up from where he was cowering and shivering, the door was wide open, broken off its hinges by the force of the Dullahan fleeing from the gold. But from that day, and after that harrowing night, he felt a bit better about things. See, he had the thing to ward it off, the spirit of death itself, the collector of souls, and as long as he kept that pin on him, well, well, he was safe enough from the Dullahan. And besides that, it was said it could only come at certain times of year, so as long as he kept that pin on him, Liam felt better about his chances. It didn't seem right, though, for him to try and marry, to bring anyone into his home that would have to wait on those long nights with him, that might be at risk of being spied by the Dullahan. So he broke off his courtship with a local girl and he settled himself to be a bachelor for all his days and to make sure he kept that gold-headed pin always by his side, in his pocket, in his shirt. Every time he changed his clothes, he moved the pin from one to the other. And so his life passed. A little strangely, perhaps, but it was his. He found it better to face the creature outdoors, that it wouldn't break the doors down, and to get it over with quick, and so he took to walking at Bealtaine 
and at Samhain particularly, those were the times you might reliably see the thing and see it off. It was never easy. The sight of it always froze the blood in his veins. But he saw it as a duty. After all, if the creature was after him, it was not after anyone else. But the habit of it slipped so easily toward complacency that he didn't notice it happening. He stayed late one night in the autumn, playing cards. And he was not having a good run of luck, was Liam. Lost all the money, but then he got a good hand. And if he could just raise a little bit more, he might be able to win the hand and win back all he'd lost already. And so he bet the gold-headed pin on a hand of cards. A sure thing, he thought, until it wasn't. Ah, but then he knew he had a little time to make sure he found something else of gold. Something that he could buy. He'd go to the market the next night. He'd find a pin or a coin or a brooch or some something anyway to ward off the Dullahan. But time slipped by without him noticing. Before he knew it, Samhain was near. And then he thought, right, he'd been putting it off long enough, he'd go. That very same day, he would go, he would go to the market, he would get something of gold, anything of gold. And to the market he went. And from the market he left, empty-handed, distracted, drawn away to games of cards and chance. For he thought he might as easily win something of gold and buy it. It would be more exciting anyway. And then, before he knew it, he was on the road home with his pockets empty, telling himself that it would be all right, that he had another night, that it wouldn't come tonight. It didn't always come this night. Sometimes, sometimes it came on different nights. and with no gold to protect him. In the morning he was found, by the side of the road, cold and white and staring. For the Dullahan, no matter how it is delayed, will always, always claim the soul that it has named. And take that soul back to its master, who keeps his bargain still, the stooped one, the one who makes the fields and the farms so bountiful here, honouring that very ancient bargain.